Hey everyone, do you remember any time you got to play in a sandbox when you were growing up? You could create any world you wanted based on how you felt that day, how you felt at that moment, or what you were currently focused on. Dr. Jones here with another episode of Seeing to Lead, and this week I talked to Dr. Matthew Woods, who believes in sandbox leadership. Now, this sandbox leadership he talks to us about is based on four principles. And those principles have things like boundaries, autonomy, reflection, and being proactive all mixed throughout. And he uses these to guide decision-making, to guide moving forward towards his goals. And when he does this, they become a powerful mixture that allows him and allows us, if we so desire and use them, to create a world based on our why, how we feel and what we're moving towards. Our whys are incredibly important. And through these principles, we are able to achieve those goals we set forth for not just ourselves, but for other people. This is a great episode that talks a lot about empowerment and relationships. I'm sure you're going to get a ton of information from it. So how about I stop here and we get to the episode. Thanks for listening. Sometimes I think as leaders, we we get caught up in the immediate and don't think about the long term, right? And understanding that the impact carry on, if you're doing good work, and if you're being proactive, if you're being innovative, if if you're being everything that we say we want leaders to do, you're not going to get immediate gratification. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Dr. Matthew Woods has served in various roles within K-12 education. His professional experience includes being a high school social studies teacher, middle and high school assistant principal, middle school principal, and Director of Student Support Services. In addition to his K-12 work, Matthew has also served as an adjunct professor and field instructor at the collegiate level for student teachers. Aside from this work, Matthew hosts a K-12 podcast, Leading Out of the Woods, and is the author of the children's book series, I Want to Be, starring his one-year-old son, imagining different occupations he would like to grow up to be. Matthew's currently working on his leadership book, The Sandbox Mentality, Empowering Leadership. For more information about Matthew's professional and educational experience, if you should have any questions, you can also visit him on LinkedIn. I'm really excited to talk to Matthew today. And uh, just in the pre-show chat, I, I learned that he's just recently a doctor. So that's a good thing. Yes. And uh, I love the idea of the children's book series about exploring careers, but that's more of a personal connection to me. So this is going to be a great conversation. You know, Matthew, thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. 
Man, Dr. Jones, thank you for thank you for having me. Thank you for the invite. And yeah, I mean, we were we were chopping it up before <laughs> we hit the record button, and like you said, we were losing track of time. So we're like, we have to capture some of this. But no, man, it's um, you know, I've loved being able to connect with you. I love the work that you're doing, and um, I just appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Awesome. So, you know, I, I talked about, you know, your bio, but oftentimes bios are kind of kind of scripted a little bit. So um, why don't you take a couple minutes, round that out for us, for the listeners, and uh, tell us kind of like what you're into now and, and how you got through all those titles and all those positions to, to sit where you are now. Man, I've, first and foremost, um, I've just been really, I've been really blessed and fortunate through my career. Um, because I've had the opportunity to work around and be mentored by some amazing folks and some really amazing educators, you know, folks that are rock stars, that are, you know, the definition of exemplar. And one thing that I will, you know, if I have to pat myself on the back, give me some credit is I try, I try, I still try, to approach a lot of those interactions like a sponge and just learn from them, you know, you know, observe them, watch how they are modeling. If it's, you know, something in the classroom, if it's how they lead, if it's how they communicate, it's how they collaborate, and then sit back and think about how I can add those tools to my toolbox. And I think because of that, it has allowed me to transition into, you know, a lot of those uh, variety of different roles that you had mentioned. Um, I think because of those experiences, that has led to some of those other things you had referenced, you know, for example, the podcast, for the the children's book series, for some of the uh, leadership and interactive modules that that I've created in a lot of capacities. All of those things, all of those experiences and all of those relationships I've met with amazing educators have really just helped not only shape my career and how I see education and leadership, but then also led me down those rabbit holes of being curious and saying, hey, how can I expand on this? Or this would be a great way to have conversations, you know, so like the podcast real quick, I'll just say. So one of the things that stemmed that caused me to do it was folks saying, hey, you have all these amazing connections. Like, you know, all these different people. How do you know all these folks? And, you know, for your listeners, you can tell I'm pretty country. I got that, you know, this region accent right here <laughs> from Southwest Virginia. But, you know, sometimes I have to sit back and say, wow, I, d- I do know some folks. You know, I've been fortunate either throughout my career to bump shoulders with them, come in contact, or I know folks that know them and I have a way to have opportunity to talk to them. So how can I give back? to my community? How can I give back to the educators? I'll just have them on a podcast. So then you might not ever have the opportunity to meet so-and-so or go to a conference, right? To listen to these folks. You can just click on the podcast, you can put some AirPods in if you're at the gym and you can hear them just have an amazing, vibrant conversation about education and leadership. That's awesome. You know, you mentioned something. You said you you feel blessed to have had all these different perspectives and and people that you were able to see from um, and grateful. So that's that's an interesting thing because we talk about gratitude and the importance of gratitude. And I try to do a gratitude exercise every morning and every evening when I wake up and then when I go to sleep. 
How did you get to that point in your career, especially with those different titles, those different positions? You know, sometimes we get busy, we're getting to moving around and we don't, we don't have that perspective that often helps us get forward or get into anything. Was there a point in, in your career or in your life that you realized, hey, I really am blessed for what I see and, and who I'm near? I think it wasn't, wasn't until went off to grad school. Okay, so I, you know, several, several years ago, uh, before before my children, oh, Lord, man, I guess I can say that. So years ago. We're getting real now. We're getting real now. We're going back. But I had the opportunity to start my doctorate at the University of Georgia. So I, you know, got accepted, got a research assistant, assistantship. And at the time I was still, I was an assistant principal. So, you know, um, and I was in Virginia. So I moved to, you know, out to, down to Athens. Um, shout out anyone who is a Georgia Bulldog. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're just winning right now. But anyway, moved down to Georgia. I'm around amazing folks, right? You know, some of the top, top folks in our field, you know, pumping out research. They're, they're traveling all across the country and the world, meeting all these people. So, you know, I'm just down there. Oh my God. Like I'm bumping shoulders with these people doing stuff. But what started happening was when we were in conversations, either in classes or you know sidebar conversations, and I would reference, oh yeah, you know, like so and so, or I know so and so, or you know, I had this interaction, and they were just as intrigued as these interactions I'm telling them as I am to the stuff that they're doing, and and I started making, I, I started, I guess, stepping back, realizing, wow, like. Even if I didn't have this opportunity, I was still already very fortunate. I, I, you know, and and I think sometimes we need to step out of our comfort zone to realize then how blessed we are. You know, when I when I talk to folks and say, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet several teachers of the year, and I'm not just talking about my districts. I'm talking about state teachers of the year, national teachers of the year that I can call them, that I can text them or I have men in con- or, you know, or that, yeah, you know, the one you're talking about, yeah, my buddy knows them and I can call them if you got a question. Like, how? How do you know the, you know, and and it's one of those things that then you have to sit back and go, wow, that is, you know, that that is, that is unique, right? But then at the same time, being humble enough to understand that even when someone is saying you're doing a good job, when you have interactions like that and you know those folks and you see what they're doing, not discarding what you're doing, but you know, like, no, I, this, this hill, I, I have to keep climbing because I'm nowhere near what these amazing folks are doing. So that was, I'll say, the light bulb moment in my career. And then from there, it's it's just been one of those things slowly still just building those relationships, being a sponge, listening, thinking about, okay, how can I, how can I, how can I take what Dr. Jones is doing that he's an expert in and then start thinking about how I can apply it. Um, and if I can't apply it the way I would like to, what are some of these barriers around me? You know, then you, then you start talking about what region yeah. you're in. Uh, maybe it's the politics where you're at. So, I mean, you know, right. Just being, being realistic. Mm-hmm. Right. But still thinking about how I can make these connections and just grow uh, in my profession. 
what's beautiful about that, and and thank you for sharing that. That you know, not everybody wants to share like that or um, at that level. So I I really appreciate you for doing that. Or the way you're talking about it, it's it's almost like a mindset shift, and it really speaks to continuous improvement or the idea of continually improving. Like you know, you're you're doing some serious stuff. You're you're knocking it out of the park, and then you look at one of these other people, and you're 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 blessed enough to use your term to see what they're doing. You're like, man, they're just really stepping it up a level. So how do I step up my game or how do I shore up where I need to get stronger and get a little better, whether it's by one step or whether you're sprinting ahead 50 yards? How do we as leaders, let's, so let's take this to leadership with teachers and even teachers to students. How do we get teachers to have that mindset shift as leaders? Or how do teachers get students to have that mindset shift where what they're doing is is good, and maybe sometimes it isn't, but what they're doing is good. But if they just took that one step forward, they could be that much better. And imagine how much better they could be by looking around and making those connections. No, that's that's a great question. I'll give some input, but if I had the, you know the magic bullet for that, I would. Hey, if, if like, anybody had like the a magic billionaire bullet. right now, yeah, I, you know, I would <laughs> yeah. just I, yeah, I could just tell my wife, hey, babe, I'm gonna retire early, right? But. Um, <laughs> I think it's there's there's levels to it. So when I think about the classroom, classroom teacher to or at the building level, right? The teacher or counsel, anyone who's having an interaction with the student. So we'll just use teacher to student, right? I, what immediately comes to mind as you were saying that is teaching them to be a critical thinker. So one thing that I did when I was my, I guess my very first day bell ringer, right? You know. I used to have a, a question I would pose up there, and it and the question and the question was always the same. Didn't matter if I was teaching world history too or criminal justice. The question was, "What is a critical thinker? What is a critical thinker?" Like that was the question. So kids would come in, and I remember kids were like, "Hey, Mister Woods, what does I got to do with uh, you teaching me world history?" I mean, you know, <laughs> and, kids, and, and that's why I love kids, right? A little bit because they will tell you what what is on their mind. Oh, oh yeah, blunt like. I mean, what's that doing world history too? Like a critical thinker, you tell me what is a critical thinker, and then and Lord knows if any of my former uh, students are listening, I'm sorry, I'm just calling y'all out because <laughs> I was also even being a history teacher, I've always been passionate about writing, and I used to tell kids it doesn't matter what you're doing, you have to learn to write, you have to learn to communicate. So you're go- going to when you do your bell ringer in my class, you're going to stand up. If I call on you and you're going to read it aloud. So, you know, if you're shy, I used to have these Mickey, Mickey Mouse ears that I got when I went to Disney World back in the day and I would put them on and the kids would laugh. And I said, and they're like, why are you doing this? And I said, well, you are shy. You know, you feel uncomfortable standing up. If I put these on and sit here and look foolish, people are going to be looking at me laughing. They're not going to pay attention to you standing up reading your response. I promise you. And, and it worked. And what happened usually, just forget about you know the most shyest kids the ones who have anxiety whatever you want to say they would forget about it because i would try to make that that space right going back to initial questions it was what is a critical thinker and i would pose it to them you know then they find out oh man this guy's making me write sentences to respond to the bell ringer and i could tell him right andy i gotta say something about it so I'm, I'm surprised more kids didn't drop my class now that I say that. But <laughs> I thought, and this was when I was very young and naive, 
And I and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I don't want to come on here and say, like, oh, I was just day one had figured out. But something told me, like I guess you could say in my spirit or my heart, that hey, you know, kids have to understand what is a critical thinker. And and I have to encourage them to do my part because I need them. I used to say, I need to blink my eyes and see 10 years from now, you're going to be successful. I don't know what you're going to be successful at. And you might be doing something that hasn't even been invented yet. But if you're a critical thinker, you're going to, you're going to make it make sense. You're going to figure it out. You're going to be able to adapt. And I can do that through me teaching you these skills within world history too. And that's actually how I would phrase it to kids. Yeah. I would kind of tone it down a little bit for them, but you know, you kind of get the drift. Well, then when we think about teachers and administrators, right? Hopefully, we have all been given those skills through interactions to have developed those critical thinking skills. But if we have it in our various roles and in leadership capacities, we have to do things to help people exercise those muscles, exercise those critical thinking skills. Because the worst thing that can happen is that people are always asking how to respond. And I had a mentor um, who will remain nameless right now because he always gets mad when I call him out, things like this. So he'll be nameless. But he said something to me, which I didn't understand early in my leadership career, but but I've, you know, over the years, it's, it's made sense. He said, you know, Matt, you'll be an effective administrator regardless of the level, when you stop asking folks what to do and start approaching them with strategies on how to do it. And I was like, what? Like, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? You know, and I'm sitting there, you know, he always wanted to put, put, throw these like puzzles out there. And I remember, and I was just like, what is he talking about? Like, don't approach somebody, you know, like come with strategy. And, you know, you hear that, right? Don't just ask me. You know, don't tell me your problem. Come with solutions. But we say that, but a lot of us really don't live that. We say to folks all the time, hey, don't just come to me with a problem. Come to me with a solution. But then a lot of us in leadership roles know people come to us with problems all the time. And what happens is we have to sometimes step back. So after we react to help the situation, then what are we doing to be proactive? to prevent that interaction from coming again, right? Because there's some things in different roles you should just be responsible for. And I've really started to understand that. Like there's certain things that I should only ask somebody above me because it's outside my sandbox for clarification. But anything else in my sandbox, I'm supposed to be in charge. It's like when I was a principal, I remember I had a, a notebook and I wrote down everything like I think when I, you know, I first got the job, I wrote down everything I should be responsible for. And I remember saying to myself, I am responsible for all this. So if I'm not sure on this right now, I got some homework to do. And then if I need to reach out for like a thought partner, someone to kind of collaborate with, like, hey, Dr. Jones, how are you doing this at your, your build? How are you doing this? Okay, that's one thing. But I shouldn't really be reaching and saying, I just don't know how to look at this school budget. I don't know how to handle this discipline situation if it's if it's within the context of what I'm responsible for as a building administrator, right? And, but I think, you know, that in itself is what promotes critical thinking. That 
because, you know, and sometimes people need help, you know, for whatever reason, you need to respond. But then in your various roles, how are you helping promote that either from the classroom level, like the example I gave, teaching that kind of foundational skill and making sure it hits home with kids, to then as you creep up in your career in different roles, as people are responding, asking for things, how are you then going back being proactive to teach and reinforce some of those skills? Because by virtue, I'm then helping people then think about things that they haven't thought about. Because then they'll have a frame of reference. Then they'll say, you know what? When we had this situation and I worked it like this, this is a tad bit different, but I can pull this from this and add this to answer this. So when you're talking about that, and I mean, people listening just got a whole earful of critical thinking. And I, I, I love the idea because at first you said it's repeated action and then you threw proactive in there. And I just keep thinking of, you know, to proactively be ahead of things, you have to keep repeating that action with individuals to get that idea across. But what you really hit on, or at least it seemed like it to me, that I believe is one of your passions, because when we look at the different things in the work you put out and your biography, you're really about empowerment and relationships. And it sounds like you really hit on empowerment. So when I talk about when I talk about empowerment, I talk about the idea of people shouldn't be coming to me. And your sandbox piece really made me think of this. People shouldn't be coming to me to ask me, hey, can I change this thing in my classroom? Hey, can I do this? They should be reaching out to me to say, hey, I did this and explaining to me why they did it so that they don't need permission, they can do that and step out, of the, step out on their own and kind of expand their horizon, so to speak, on their own. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. So talk to me a little bit about empowerment and some of the work you've seen with empowerment or that you do so that that leaders listening to this, this specific podcast can get an idea about how important it is to empower those around us and maybe some good ways to empower people to make sure that they, they take advantage of it. Definitely. So when we talk about empowerment, and I love that example that you just gave, it's getting folks to feel comfortable to, to, to push the boundaries on things, but then understanding that even if you have to um, smack them on the hand. Well, that's probably a bad example. We're not, we're not you know, <laughs> yeah. promoting abuse over here. Sorry, a bad example. <laughs> like, you know, you, you have to say to somebody, hey, yeah, you can, you can make changes in your room, but 
dude, you just painted it blood red. Like, what are you doing? Like, why? Like the kid, that's all they see walking in there. Like, looks like a vampire horror movie. We can't have that. Like, (laughs) put a little bit of, you know, right? I I think people need to understand and then appreciate. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you for telling me. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I went on them. I'll tone it back just a little bit. That's not, I guess the way I'm trying to say it is, sometimes when someone tells you to take a step back, they're saving you from falling down because you as the principal might know when you can paint it, you can't paint over these signs right here. That, that is against these policies. Like, you know, that's a safety issue, right? Like, I mean, there are certain things and without someone feeling like they have to challenge you on it, they just trust you to be like, okay, thank you. I understand. But, but you telling me this and me having to make a small change is not stopping me from being innovative. It's, it's, it's addressing something else, right? So I think with, when we talk about empowerment, not only just a mindset, it's getting those relationships there for folks to feel comfortable when you have to have those conversations, when, when you have to, you know, kind of check somebody, right? So when we talk about, or for example, when you made the comment, when I say like a sandbox mentality, um, and it's four principles that, over the years, I've really kind of realized that my leadership has kind of been modeled at and, and adopted. And, and I'll just go ahead and tell you real quick, the four principles. The first one is, your, you know, your boundaries should be built off the why. So, like, why exactly this occurring? Or do, or do I need this to occur? Now, I think sometimes we get caught up in saying that, ooh, you know, Dr. Jones, that example with the classroom, you're coming to say this to me now. Sometimes it's not appropriate for someone to tell you the why in the moment. Sometimes it needs to be a conversation. Mr. Will, just come by and see me at your plane. You know, come by after school. No, Dr. Jones, you can tell me right now. I mean, there's no need for that, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I think we all know we've seen interactions like that. Like, there's certain things that you still address the why, but sometimes there, there needs to be caveats where it, it's not something that's immediate. But either way, it's still built off those boundaries, right? So then the second principle, that autonomy must show alignment to a core belief. So with that why, so we're going to role play, right? So I'm the teacher. I painted, you know, you know, I just saw Dracula. So I painted my room completely blood red. And you're like, no, no, Matt, no, no, buddy. We, we got to, yeah, we have to do something about this. You even painted over the windows. You just went way overboard, right? So I'm just fuming, right? So I'm just sitting there mad. I'm, oh, I'm talking about you and all. Oh, I'm going to go get him. You know, he wants to see me after school, y'all. You know, I'm just getting hyped up. So I go down there and talk to you. You start applying principle two, that autonomy. So Matt, so explain to me how you wanting to paint that whole room blood red, even the window, even the floor tile, Show me goal that aligns with. Sorry, Dr. Jones, what do you mean? You know, our school goal, our school improvement goal, the district goal. So show me, I'm all about, a, you know, an innovative classroom. I'm all about it being safe. Show me how that being read everywhere is innovative. What, what are we, how is that safe? And And I think sometimes we all, have to have an appreciation that there is something that is is the target, you know, like a goal. Like, 
we can't just go off on a tangent, right? There has to be a line. If you're working in any type of organization, right? Um, and it's funny when you think of like the Googles of the world, the Apples of the world, some of your most innovative companies. And, you know, we all know they promote curiosity. They promote creativity. They promote autonomy to the main goals. Like you can't just go off and do something. I think it's Google, if I remember I think they give each employee or something like maybe 60 minutes a day or or they have a day where they can kind of do something, right? But what folks don't realize is when you look at how they have those parameters set up, it's in relation to one of their like strategic goals. Well, what's ironic about that is what folks don't realize is for some of those, um, I guess, passion projects, you know, that's what led to Gmail. That's what led to Google Maps because they gave people the autonomy. But, hey, you have to align it to something that this organization needs. And look what, what folks gave. And look what it did. Gave people. Um, it gave the business magic. Right. Folks made some of the things that we I mean, we all live off Gmail, I feel like. Uh, Lord knows I do. Right. Uh, if you think of companies like 3M, they have a similar setup. Uh, the bandages, I think it's like the next care bandages, you know, like those little waterproof ones. That came from a passion project. Sticky notes, which I didn't know for the longest 3M came up with that, y'all. Yeah. So 3M, th- your boy's throwing a plug in there for you. The sticky notes came from something like that. So I say that to say autonomy is powerful and it gets those creative juices, that critical thinking going. But once again, as a leader, you have to be pointing me, in this case, Dr. Jones, you would be directing me back to, Matt, just show me how this is related to this, Matt. That's all I need you to do. If you can, if you can move this needle to there, we can work with it. If not, that's going to cause me to reflect and think about how to revise it, right? Um, so then principle three, right? Principle three is reflection must be embodied in your, in your own practices or in your practices. So we're all so busy. Definitely classroom teachers. I mean, I, I I would say anybody in education right now, classroom teachers and counselors, I feel like they are getting super taxed um, with just all the responsibilities we're throwing out of, right? But but it doesn't matter. Principals, directors, soups, anything, right? Everybody's just getting overwork. And not even just in education, but pretty much any organization right now. And we're all so busy. Go, go, go. We all have these little devices, right? Phones and tablets and things and you know, we're just all so connected that it's hard to unplug and self-reflect. So as leaders, you have to be very intentional and you have to force people to stop. You have to force people to pause. So for example, as I'm talking, I'm just going to pause for five seconds. And Dr. Jones, I can see the anxiety on your face because you were sitting there counting, right? That was five seconds. Think about that. Five seconds, you were tightening up like, Man, we got to get this recording done, man. I can't just sit here and have you pausing. <laughs> That's I use wait time like no one else, and because specifically it makes it raises that anxiety, it makes people uncomfortable and everything. And I was still count when you did that five seconds to me. I saw you. I saw you look down like you were looking at the clock. And so if you think about it, and even the listeners who are listening, they probably paused five seconds and were like, "That wasn't five seconds." But I think. We, we neglect that. And what's amazing is 
it, it's almost like when you when you're sitting in front of a screen for like an hour or two, you just need to get up and stretch your legs. Like, right, you need to do some jumping jacks. You know, just do something for a second because it it it, it gets the blood. It, it kind of gets you restarted. And I think for educators, you know, educators by virtue are some of the best critical thinkers, right? If you think about everything that a teacher does, that a principal does every day, that's pretty impressive. But then when you ask folks, okay, now I want you to be creative about this, they can't because they're already thinking about the other things that they've done. So as leaders, we have to build those spaces. Um, There was a superintendent I met recently during their principals meeting, they make every principal have a journal. And at the principals meeting, they build in 10 minutes of self-reflection. And I remember them telling me, Matt, People lost their minds when I first asked them this. They said, we had these little journals. They're like, what, man, I got to check this email. I got this parent upset. You want me to see her 10 minutes? What came out of that is some of the that district's best um, innovative from just principals sitting there for 10 minutes with the journal, reflecting, and they can reflect on it. They reflect on their school, reflect on what's coming up. It can be something personal, professional, whatever it is. But you have to reflect. And it went to, going back to the second principle, their district, one of their district initiatives, which talked about the mental well-being of staff and students. And I loved how the soup said, if you can't self-reflect and and calm down and get your thoughts together, how are you going to leave these buildings getting kids to do it? And I and that just hit me hard. I was like, ooh. <laughs> but once again, aligned it. To the division, I mean, how can I argue with that? If the I mean, if the superintendent asked me to do that, and he's pointing at his district goal, how can I then catch an attitude because he's making me model what I should be modeling for my students, right? So then, goes to the the fourth one, principle four: be proactive before you have to be reactive. If you are constantly reacting, you're going to fail as a leader. And I don't want to kind of leave that on like a sour note when I say it like that. <laughs> but once again, I had a mentor say that to me. If you're constantly reacting, you're going to fail. You're going to fail and you're going to fail bad. And I remember her, because this was different, her saying that to me. And I said, oh, God, that just hit me hard, right? And she said, if you're constantly reacting and you're not thinking about putting out the match before it becomes a forest fire, then you're missing the point. You're always going to be reactive and you're, you're just going to, you're just going to give yourself anxiety and you'll never be able to catch up. So those four principles over the years, I guess I've applied them and didn't realize it. And as I've done different things, Chris, you know, and you, you have a time to reflect and think about your thoughts. And I know when I've gotten posed with questions when folks say, Hey, tell us about your leadership. Where is it coming from? And I remember it was it was crazy, man. It was like those four things just kind of spurted out because they came from concrete examples of things that I have experienced, things that I've done, and th- things that I haven't done in certain moments because I didn't apply that principle and I saw how it blew up in my face. So yeah, man, those are my four principles. When I when I say empowering leadership, that's that sandbox. Man, that that's incredible. Okay, so people that are listening just kind of got a master class in how they can be a better leader. <laughs> I mean, I can drop my Venmo in the, in the chat. Like, like for real. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about 
you know, boundaries have to be built off of why. Just just real quick, um, that first principle, you talked about autonomy and how that's got to be aligned with the with the larger why or the vision or the mission. You talked about reflection. How important is reflection? How often we don't do and you know, congrats to your soup for doing that. I do have one question about that. Did your soup reflect with you guys when you did that? This was a soup I had met because oh, this was okay. part of their yeah, this was part of their division goal. It was it was when I was doing a, a speaking engagement and I happened to see it. But what was crazy about that specific situation was the way this person did it. They they did it with the intention of knowing people were going to become that. That that was the part that I remember because I remember them telling me and the the other gentleman I was with, they said, Hey, look, all of this is related to our division goals. But I know if I walk in there and say, here are our division goals. So Matt, Chris, now I need y'all to do it. Folks are going to go through the mindset. He said, no, I'm going to tell them what I want to do and watch the reaction and then pull that slide up and show it to them. Nice. Because he wanted, he wanted those initial response. You know, like sometimes you have to bring people into the conversation. And the way, and that's why I said the way he did it. And then, so mind you, so I'm standing there and I know it's about to go down, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> I know the playbook. I already know the final score of this game. Yeah. And it's seeing it live. And I was just like, you know what? He had to do it that way. Because when he did it that way, it was, it was complete. So every, I mean, what can you say? What right. could anyone think? Even I couldn't say it. I was just like, I think I took out a notebook and I started writing down some stuff. Hey. Kudos to him for knowing his people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's knowing who you're with. And then, and then obviously the fourth one, the whole idea of proactive instead of reactive, you know, and just even the language for that, how it's always better to respond than react. But if you're not being proactive, because even when you're proactive, there are things that are going to come up that are going to surprise you. But because you've been proactive, you have time to take that step back and respond Mm -hmm. instead of react. React is more of that knee-jerk piece that if you haven't been proactive and things are building up and they will come up and slap you in the face, Mm -hmm. and then you react and you just, it's like slapping a hornet's nest back. You're not going to get that good response that you need or or that good outcome or be able to pivot and make something work because... You didn't do the work ahead of time. Yeah. You weren't proactive. You weren't thinking about it. So those, I mean, those are some great examples. So thank you for those four things. I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of that. Uh, you know, as, as we're getting, we're kind of winding this down. I do ask two questions of every person that comes on this podcast. And I just, because I'm fascinated by the different answers that I get. Okay. And um, the first one is all about you. It's if you weren't, in the position you're in now, if you weren't in education, a leader, a teacher, who, not what would you be? Who? Okay. Who, not what would I be? Yeah, okay. I like to play with words every once no, in a while. I, I love that. I, I love that because even though I felt, I knew you were going to answer that question, I still, every time I hear it, I'm like, that does it. Who would I be, not what I be? I would be somebody lost and confused. I... I don't know what I would be if I didn't become an educator, to be honest with you. I, I was, I've been very fortunate. You know, I have educators in my family, like my mom's amazing principal, just a role model and someone I look up to. And even though Lord knows, like, I ain't never been no teacher. 
Then you ain't never. I ain't never been no administrator. Seen get cut. I ain't doing that because you know I would see the good and the bad. I tell folks, I said I had an interesting dynamic because I didn't just see the eight to three thirty. I saw the three thirty to nine o'clock. I saw the late nights working football games. I saw the sacrifices. Hey, I can't be picking you up. Your grandpa's gonna have to pick you up because I have to deal with this. Giving money out your own pocket to help somebody else's kid. Knowing you're not getting paid back. What? Why are we doing that? That ain't my problem. And, 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 you know, and I'm being real transparent. Speaking as a kid, asking my mom these questions, right? So coming full circle and then going into education, right? Feeling very fortunate because I do think about that. Like, who would I be? Not, you know, um, not what I would be. Who would I be? Would, would I have some of this empathy that I have for others? You know, would I... Would I want to take the time and, and build relationships with people? I, you know, I just don't know because a lot of it, when I think about the way I carry myself, it goes to my being of being educated. You know, it goes to me thinking like, oh, because this is because of it, you know. So, man, I, Matt would just be confused. I'll just say it like that. I would just be confused. <laughs> yeah. Just wandering around. Just wandering around. Yeah, yeah. Wandering around. That's a, that's a, that's a powerful answer in the idea that it's it's part of who you are. It was part of your upbringing. And, you know, you're talking about the very real things of you got to see under the hood, so to speak, of all those extras that come along with education and that occur in education and that that our teachers, you know, God bless all of them um, that work hard, that do it in those extra hours and the leaders that really put it in. And it's it's interesting because I actually know a couple people that grew up and and their parents were teachers and they not only got good out of it afterwards, but they had to get over some very real feelings of you're sitting at the dinner table and you're saying my kids and you're not talking about us. And so there's that, there's that fine line that, that we walk as educators, as leaders to make sure that we're pouring back into those around us, the loved ones around us, and doing that on a consistent basis and making sure we don't muddy those lines between what we do um, as a calling, as a career, and, and our lives at home. Because there's, we talk about being you know, a 360-degree leader or teacher or real person or however you want to call it because they don't just unplug us in the morning and walk us out of a closet to teach or to lead. That's... Um, we have to make sure that we we still stay real and stay connected to our families too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last question I, I've got for you, you know, you've you've said so much already. I'm going to see if I can if I can squeeze a little more juice out of this. What's the best piece of advice or the most valuable piece of advice you would give to leaders of all walks? That's le- that's administrators, that's teachers, everybody to help them better support, engage, and empower those they serve. The best advice. The the best advice I would give <clears throat> is that to be an effective leader and you have the assumption that everybody's going to like you, then you're then you're not getting it. Then you, you know you've missed the point. Like, you know, and, and I don't want this to be like, oh, so you're just gonna be hard, you're just gonna be evil. That that's not what I'm saying. But you don't have to stand, you have to figure out what you stand for and you have to figure out how that's conveyed to people. 
Because people, I think, I think sometimes folks get it twisted when we talk about leadership. Even if I don't like leadership of some somebody, I know what they stand for. It's you, there's a level of respect there. Now that could be like we could disagree going left and right. That you know that's a whole different thing. And I tell folks all the time that's different. You are disagreeing on the decisions of the leader. But when we talk about leadership, right? You know, just step back and say leadership. Leadership is being very decisive to respond. Standing by, you know, good or bad. You know, um, the one example that as I've gotten older really sticks home with me is like when we talk about like Martin Luther King Jr., right? One thing about Martin Luther King Jr. that people don't realize is that when he was assassinated, he was one of the, one of the, if not the most hated person in America. Like it, Folks on here fact checking. You can look it up. There was like yeah. people were doing surveys about like you know we can't stand what he stands for. These marches, everything. Like he was one of the most hated people in the country. Fast forward now, and we talk about context. We talk about leadership. We talk about impact. We talk about work. Nobody would say. Pretty much nobody would say that. Everybody like, oh my god, Martin Luther King Jr. Greatest thing ever. Look at what he did. We got a day after. You know, it's like it, you know. Sometimes I think as leaders, we, we, we get caught up in the immediate and don't think about the long term, right? And understanding that the impact will carry on if you're doing good work and if you're being proactive, if you're being innovative, if, you know, if you're being everything that we say we want leaders to do, you're not going to get immediate gratification. You know, it, it blows my mind, at least my wife's mind sometimes, when we bump into parents, when we bump into people, you know, like when I was still a building administrator, you know, back in the day, hated my gut. I mean, hated my gut, Chris. <laughs> hated. I mean, I could be on the side of the road, no gas, and they ain't giving me $5. <laughs> and they'll walk up to me and say, you know, you know, would you, you change my son's life. You know, he still talks about some of the stuff. He still talks about when you suspended him that time. And you just, then you greeting him at the door and say, hey, man, it's going to be better. It's nothing personal, but you can't act like that in her class. You know, it feels good, but then I have to remind myself because I remember how I felt, right, in that moment. So I really say that to the listeners in certain moments. And even now when I make certain decisions and I get black on things because sometimes folks aren't seeing the end goal, right? Or they're not seeing, hey, you're mad about this right now, but we're setting the stage for this later. But in order to do that, we have to make these tough decisions now. And I think, I mean, that's even hard for me sometimes. You know, I kind of have to sit back sometimes and reflect on it. But I really say that to the, the leaders out there who are currently leading for the folks who are aspiring to be leaders. You know, keep that in mind. You know, to be effective, you're going to have to make tough decisions. But if you think leadership, you know, oh, everybody's just going to love me. Yeah, everybody's going to love me. Then then what that means is you're not being decisive. You're not making good decisions because if you're trying to appease everybody, because everybody's coming to you, not agreeing. So when you make a decision to help somebody, you've ticked off somebody. So you can't go back and forth being wishwashy. I think that's the, that's what I would leave all of the folks who are aspiring to be leaders, who are leaders just with that tip. I, you have far exceeded any expectations I had today of talking to you. 
you um, just some of the stuff you're saying is so valuable. Look, so we're at the end of the show, but how do people stay in touch with you? You talked about making connections and being connected to people earlier. How can people reach out and and get in touch with you and hear more or, or work with you? Yeah, man. Um, once again, Chris, thanks for having me on here. Um, folks can reach out to me, uh, either my my email, uh, that's leadingoutthewoods, leadingoutthewoods at gmail.com, or you can go to my personal website, uh, www.leadingoutthewoods.com. Has all my contact info on there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Wood from a Woods. So stop laughing, Chris. That is that is the Twitter so, at Wood from a Woods. No, you can find me there. That's great. And, uh, and yeah, like I love to connect with folks. Like I said earlier, I'm a sponge. I'm always learning. So feel free to reach out. Obviously, I love education. I'll talk to anybody. As Chris has just found out, you know, I was going to say you blabbered. talk to me. Of course, to talk to anybody, <laughs> I'm just blabbering on, right? But seriously, please reach out. I always love to connect, love to learn from other folks, and just love to grow. That's that's fantastic, and uh, you know, I can't I can't encourage people enough to make sure they reach out and and connect with you. And and again, you know, thank you so much for coming on and and taking this time to to tell us about those four principles and and about empowerment and, and how we can get that done and how we can help people improve. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com, where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. 